0: Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now.
1: Hi everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, our weekly podcast. We're excited about you joining us again today. Today we're going to talk about why do we use excuses? What does it say about us when we use excuses? What are we really conveying when we use an excuse? And reflecting on these excuses really can cause us to maybe look at things differently as we consider having this discussion. Joining me today is my son, Brian. Say hi, Brian. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back, Doc. All right. Brian, you know, this topic of excuses is kind of an interesting one. You say, well... Why do we have a topic dedicated to excuses? And I think it's relevant because it says a lot about who we are, how we consider things, and what level of personal responsibility we want to take in our life really is revealed in the amount of excuses that we use. So as you think of excuses, do you have any questions about this? You kind of alluded to me earlier, why this topic? So Maybe you can ask the first question that we can proceed with and begin this discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean, how do you challenge someone on excuse making? How do you say to someone, hey, you're making excuses, I don't like it. I mean, that can go nowhere but awkward, negative, argumentative. You're just going to get more excuses for why the excuses are being made.
1: Sure. Sure that's a great point and I think what is our role in that when we observe the excuses others make and you know my answer to that is make an observation they made an excuse okay understand what that means to you and what it means about them you have to make a decision about that I think more importantly when we look at the term excuses and we start considering excuses that we use in our life it's more of a prescription for self and I think it's really a question of asking ourselves, why do we use excuses? And you know, for me, I realized that I was using excuses constantly to get myself, early on in my life, I did it to get myself out of trouble. I did it to maybe get people to give me a bye. You know, I made mistakes, so I wanted people to understand my justification for that mistake, so I would throw out an excuse. And, you know, one of the things that I found very interesting when I was teaching this material was the number of excuses that were used by the students in my classes and how the excuses were handled by the school administration. When kids would be late for class or didn't have homework done, they had a plethora of excuses that they used for everything that happened, and they just didn't take personal responsibility for the things that were occurring. You know, the story I think of that I find is quite interesting that occurred with your brother Blake when he was in seventh or eighth grade and he didn't do his homework. And his teacher challenged Blake and said, Blake, why didn't you do your homework? You know you have to do the homework. You didn't do your homework. And Blake's answer was, I didn't want to. And of course, the teacher said, What do you mean you didn't want to? Well, I just didn't want to do it. He didn't make an excuse. He didn't say the dog ate it. He didn't say that he got sick. He didn't have any other reason except that he said, I just didn't want to do it. What struck the teacher so much in that situation, and they told us the story because they got a big kick out of it, was how this is the first time that the teacher ever heard a student just say, I didn't want to do it. You know, I didn't think it was an assignment or whatever it was, and I didn't want to do it. So She got a big kick out of that because she was expecting Blake to give an excuse, and he didn't. And I think that's one of the things that we do in our society is we expect excuses. We almost even want excuses. When I was talking to the secretary of the school, I just asked her, I said, let me see some of the excuses that you get here. And she says, oh, here, I have a whole basket full of excuses. And I thought that was kind of cute how she said that, you know, there's a whole basket full of excuses. Yeah. She says, you know, I get some very creative ones, but I pretty much have heard every possible excuse she would talk about it. And she said, you know, if a student had a hard time coming up with an excuse, I just kind of put the basket out there and let them pick one and then they could use it. and, And it was good because excuses didn't need to be true to be effective to get you out of a tough situation. So we really find ourselves in our society today using excuses just so we don't have to take personal responsibility. And I think it's more for us to evaluate that ourselves and say how often are we using excuses and how often are we not. Because I think excuses say something about us. I think excuses make us look weak. They make us look like we're not strong enough or that we're incapable. You know, a person who constantly uses excuses is a person that I wouldn't trust. I wouldn't trust them to do something that they said they would do. Or I wouldn't trust they would carry out the agreement that we have to get something done. A person who constantly makes excuses is a person I don't have confidence in. A person that constantly makes excuses, they don't even have confidence in themselves. So, Brian, if you observe people when they constantly make excuses, they project out that they're not very confident themselves, or maybe when a person constantly makes excuses, you just don't have faith in them and trust them, that they can be counted on in situations. How do you feel about that? Do you ever see that occur?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, excuse-making seems to be really compatible with other juvenile aspects in a person. I just noticed that it's an immaturity that people have, and those who lean hard into excuses tend to be immature in other ways also.
1: Yeah, I think I would call it a character flaw, because it reveals something about you as a person that really isn't edifying. It doesn't make you look better. Excuses don't make you look better. Sometimes we think excuses make us look better. We think excuses get us off the hook. But do they really? In the end, I don't think we look better with excuses. I think the other thing that happens, which is very interesting to me, I think it's hysterical and maybe a cultural norm, how much we make excuses for other people. And this was the other thing I see when somebody does something that didn't work out or they made a mistake, or particularly the younger generation, and they said, well, you're young, you you have a lot on your plate, and I can understand, so we actually make excuses for other people's foibles and other people's mischief. We actually make an excuse for them by saying, yeah, I understand you're young and you'll learn and you'll do better next time. It's okay, which is fine to do that. I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do or a right thing to do. I'm just wanting us to recognize how much we create these codependent relationships with other people by supporting their excuses giving them additional excuses, and the codependent chorus is, it's okay, I understand. Codependent friends echo the explaining, defending, and justifying that goes on in an individual for not taking personal responsibility for the situation. So it's not just the excuses we use. We really find ourselves surrounded by people who make excuses for us and let us off the hook constantly. And I'm not so sure that really builds us up. I'm not so sure that really builds our self-esteem. The level of respect we have for ourselves is my definition of self-esteem. And I don't think it builds the esteem we have for others when we find ourselves bantering back and forth with excuses and letting people off the hook instead of really holding people accountable. And granted, sometimes it isn't necessary to hold people accountable. I get that. Certainly in an agreement-based relationship like an employer, an employee, I think excuses are very prevalent in that environment, but we really have an obligation to hold each other accountable. Not only does the employer have the right to hold the boss accountable and vice versa. And I think that's very important that we do that. One of the things that I struggle with in my workplace, and people don't work too long for me before, they recognize that I will not listen to excuses. Basically, when a person starts giving me an excuse for something they didn't do, I give the timeout sign and I say, timeout, no excuses. I'm not going to listen to those. You have to see this as an issue that needs to be corrected. And of course, that's in a workplace environment. So sometimes I think it might be a little more heavy handed to hold people accountable and not give excuses in our social relationships, but certainly not using excuses in the workplace and in our agreement-based relationships is really something that we need to look at ourselves and say, you know, I need to stop doing that. Of course, it's difficult to do that because it's so habitual that we make excuses and don't take personal responsibility and we explain, defend, and justify. Brian, would you agree it does occur in the relationships with friends and with our agreement-based relationships? that we find ourselves navigating through the excuses and the explaining, defending, and justifying of our choices, our behavior, our actions. Would you agree that that is an issue that we can all reflect on and maybe do some soul searching and say, is that the person I want to be?
0: Oh, yes, definitely. And it's not necessarily something that you're going to get called out on if you're making excuses, because like you said, it's so common. And You can tell me what you think about this, but it really seems like the time in your life when you're going to really need this prescription of finding alternative precepts so you're not making excuses, the pressure doesn't really come to do that unless you are the captain of some cause or have some laser focus on something and you realize that there is no room for this. This is something that I am laser focused on and committed to doing no matter what. And anybody who is making excuses, it's a pretty safe bet that they've never been in a leadership position because leaders know how frustrating excuses are. When your teammates are giving you excuses as a leader, it's really, really frustrating. And I've been in the leadership position before and I had people making excuses and it's just exhausting it's a tremendous burden, it's demoralizing, it's frustrating, and then it suddenly changes your workload because this person that you delegated to do this task is making excuses and not getting the task done. So then the only option is to delegate it to someone else or do it yourself. And that's what I had to do in my circumstance. I said, you know what, this has to be done. I'm doing it myself. And I just went and did the job. And it took me a couple days to get it done, but I got it done. And only a leader will recognize the burden of excuse-making. Where people who have not been in that leadership position, they don't understand that pressure. Their habit of excuse-making has not really been challenged. There hasn't been a demand for change because they're not at that level of responsibility yet. Yeah. And they'll never yeah. get there if they yeah. keep on making
1: Well, you talk about leadership, and I think strong leaders don't blame and strong leaders don't make excuses. They take personal responsibility, and they never explain, defend, and justify. You know, we have had, unfortunately, in my opinion, in our political rhetoric of the last few years, we have seen an increase in our leadership immediately going to blame leadership, making excuses, they're constantly explaining, defending, justifying, not taking personal responsibility for the situation at hand. And it's like so frustrating when we elect a leader that we're asking to take charge, take responsibility for the problems, fix the problems. And instead of they're laser focused on (laughs) making excuses and explaining, defending and justifying the situation, why it isn't their fault or why it's their predecessor's fault or why it's this and not that. And we all sit back here and say, what is going on here? Why can't we elect leaders that take personal responsibility and really lead in the sense of the word? Because I see in strong corporations and strong businesses, if you aren't a strong leader, you don't succeed. I think it's another discussion why politicians can be successful with blaming and excuse-making. But they apparently are. And I think it's because we let them off the hook. We let it happen. But would we ever work for a boss who is constantly blaming and constantly making excuses? How frustrating would that be? You talked about frustration, Brian, of being a leader and not having your subordinates get the work done. (laughs) That's frustrating. But equally frustrating would be the employee who's – constantly looking to her boss or his boss and wondering what's all the blaming about, what's all the excuse making about. So then you get this culture of blame and excuse making. I know in my dental practice for years, I really started to recognize when I started to teach this material, how much I saw blaming and excuse making in my work environment. And then when I recognized that I could point the finger at other people and say it's them blaming and them making excuses. However, when I really looked at it myself, I realized, Hey, this starts with me. I got to make sure I'm not blaming. I got to make sure I'm not making excuses. I got to make sure I'm taking personal responsibility because unless I do that, the culture of my organization is never going to change. And that was a very significant transition for me to bring about in my workplace culture. And I just feel there were some things that I had to start believing for that to stop. And I had basically four beliefs. I actually had five. One I just talked about. The fifth one is strong leaders don't blame and make excuses. They take personal responsibility and they never explain, defend, and justify. That's certainly one of them. But the other four are... My first belief was I have in some way personal responsibility for everything that happens to me. So when I see something happen, I ask, okay, well, what is my part in this mischief? Okay, how did I set this up so that this would happen? Did I not prepare the team well enough for this? What could I have done different? What coaching could I have done? What resources could I have brought in? Instead of pointing the finger... I took personal responsibility for it not happening and recognized that I didn't prepare the team as well as I needed to. Well, that was a huge, huge awareness for me to begin to make the cultural shift that I needed to make because I wasn't pointing the fingers at my staff. I was figuring out a way that I needed to ask questions of the staff, do some seminars, do some educational processing to bring about a different understanding. Because when I make excuses and I found myself being around a group of people who really made excuses for me and they were supportive of my excuses. Well, those codependent relationships don't work. So my second belief is, you know, when I make excuses, I'm inviting and supporting codependent relationships. That's a belief I have. So I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have those codependent relationships. So I began to start changing those relationships and ending those relationships that really didn't hold me accountable to taking personal responsibility. And that was an important belief for me to take on. And I realized this was a big one for me, the belief that excuses damage my self-esteem and the esteem of others. You know, it's a sign that I had less self-respect. If I didn't have enough respect for myself that I made excuses, and then I was seen as being less capable didn't like that. So I knew when I took personal responsibility that I had a whole different respect for the person. You know, I had one of my assistants one time who was responsible for sending out the lab cases to the lab. And one situation, she sent it to the wrong lab. She sent it to a lab that didn't do what I was asking to be done. And so the lab called and said, you know, we got this case and it looked like it might have sent it to the wrong lab because we really don't do this particular procedure. And sure enough, it was sent to the wrong lab. And so I called that person in and said, you know, Kirsten, you have to send these to the right lab. And this is your responsibility. You've agreed to take this responsibility on. They have to go to the right lab. And she says, yes, doc, it will not happen again. And she took personal responsibility for it. Now, what happened was, the rest of the story is, a couple hours after we had that conversation, another assistant came to me and said, Dr. McKinley, I want to apologize for that going to the wrong lab. I'm the one that sent it to the wrong lab. Kirsten didn't send it. She wasn't even here that day. I did it. It was my mistake. I thought, well, okay, great. She came in fast up to that, and that was great. But what I really recognized is how much respect I had for Kirsten because Kirsten didn't say to me, well, Doc, I wasn't even here that day. It wasn't me. And I thought, Wow. She made a different decision. She said, okay, you're right. It's my responsibility to get those cases out. Even on the days I'm not here, it's still my responsibility, and I have to make sure it's done properly. And I am going to take responsibility for that. And she did, and she never gave an excuse. That's the day I realized that my culture was beginning to change. And I had so much respect for her for doing that. Because my fourth belief is excuses make people look weak and incapable. And I never think of her as being weak and incapable because she not only did it there, she did it over and over again. And now that she's working in another industry, she's doing it there. She can be trusted. She's advancing in her career because of the confidence that she exudes because she takes personal responsibility and she never makes excuses. She never explains defense and justify so to me, those five beliefs that I started to take on really caused the culture of excuse making to start dissipating in my arena and started to dissipate in my own sense of conversation and my own thinking. Any thoughts about those five beliefs, Brian, as you heard those and you know these situations, we've talked about these situations before Any other comment about that.
0: Personal responsibility is the burden when you take that on. So it is scary. And I think that people make excuses because they have a belief that, oh, I'm going to look bad. I don't want to look bad. And they have a different belief that is not confident and not ready to shoulder that burden of being a person with personal responsibility. So it is understandable that they would want to avoid that fear would drive them to make excuses or to blame. But it takes a lot of maturity to recognize that you can do better. And even if you mess up, you can just say, well, I messed up and it won't happen again without making an
1: excuse. And that's just a hard thing to do. Well, it is a hard thing to do, Brian. And it was very hard for me to do. And that's why I know it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to teach. To get other people to consider it because it's so prevalent and so much a habit to respond in that way. Well, uh, it's
0: funny. But usually, the reward for personal responsibility is more responsibility. And that can be very, very frustrating. When you find yourself in an environment where you're the one people count on, you find yourself doing more of the workload all the time and you're thinking how come no one else is sharing the workload and the answer is because you're the one who takes personal responsibility and doesn't make excuses and actually gets it done and that is a whole other conversation right there why do we have a culture where instead of really challenging the excuse makers we just put more on it's like i really appreciate the personal responsibility that you take in the way that you do your job here's more to do You hear stories of this all the time. I've been on crews before where it's a 20-person crew, but it's really three or four people who are getting the job done at the end of the day. And that is fulfilling, but it can also be very anxiety-inducing. It can be very painful. It can be very exhausting. And you can get really angsty towards the other 20 people on the crew who are just kind of along for the ride.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And when I think of asking that question and throwing out that scenario, I can think of something that happened this weekend it happened to do with your crew. I was skiing with your two boys this weekend, and we went down on Friday afternoon to get our boots and skis on. And of course, this has been the most painful experience of skiing for me, is putting on their boots getting their gloves on, putting their hats on, getting their helmets on, making sure they're not too tight, all the things that you do. It took much longer to get them ready than it took me to get ready. I would go down and get ready in four or five minutes. And I'd be out skiing. Now this has turned into a 20 or 25-minute project. But what was interesting, this weekend, I down there, and your older boy, who's eight years old, was putting on his ski boots, Getting kind of frustrating, kind of, oh, oh. <clears throat> and he took it off and fixed his socks and fixed his long underwear that was wadded up at the ankle and pulled it back on, got his boot back on and strapped it on, and buckled it in, and then he got the other boot on and he had to do the same thing. Here he's struggling with that. And he, he's not complaining, he's just kind of talking to himself about getting through this process of getting ready to go. Got his hat on, helmet on. Gloves on, and normally I'm tucking his gloves in under his coat. So like, no, no, he's got his gloves on. And picked up his skis, and off he went, out on the hill. And I thought, wow, that's different. Well, I watched his 7-year-old brother do the same thing. I never did a thing. They totally put on their stuff, got it totally ready, everything gone, done. And I affirmed both of them. And this is one of the things that addresses your question. What do you do when you see this kind of behavior? You know, I affirmed them. I said, boys, you showed so much resourcefulness and patience and tolerance. I know it was getting frustrating for putting your boots on, but you figured out a way to do it and you did it yourself. How does that make you feel that you're able to just totally do it? Now you can come in when you want to take your stuff off, put it back on. Look at the freedom it gives you to do the things you want to do during the day. And they looked at me and they had a big smile on their face because they recognized that they had transitioned from a place of complaining, having an excuse for this or an excuse for that, mad at this or mad at that, to a place where they really had it figured out and they were able to do it. That little small success is not a minimal thing. It's a very significant success for those two boys to have that experience. So I didn't tell you that story until just now. But it was very exciting for me to see your boys take on that personal responsibility. Now, you might be thinking, well, I wish they'd take a little more personal responsibility around the house sometimes, and then the cleaning up their room and taking care of their toys. However, I'm saying to you, those successes begin to create that in them, that they can and then, in fact, do that in other arenas as well. Your thoughts?
0: It's the only way. It's like, if you're waiting on other people to figure it out and get it right, then you're really working against yourself by rescuing them and taking the workload off of them. But sometimes it's got to be done because they're just not ready. Someone has a breakthrough. Boy, you better jump on that with all of the affirmation and glorification that you can, because that is laying the foundation for more personal responsibility.
1: Absolutely. Just like when Kirsten did her thing about taking responsibility for the lab case, I called her back in the next day and I said, Kirsten, I just have to tell you, you know, you really demonstrated a tremendous amount of personal responsibility for that situation yesterday. You didn't come to me and give me an excuse. You knew you weren't here. You knew it was somebody else that sent it to the wrong place. but You did not blame them. You did not make an excuse. You took the heat of the moment and said, Doc, it's not going to happen again. So I think when you can turn around and affirm people and recognize that kind of behavior in them, it's an esteem-building experience for them. And I think when we build the esteem up of in the individual, they will find there's no need to make an excuse. There's no need to blame. And they just get the job done. And it's exciting because I... I could have rescued those two boys. Oh, let me help you. And you hear it all the time. You hear them get frustrated. Let me help you. And you start doing it for them. Well, what is that? You're rescuing them. They don't learn anything in that situation. So, you know, as long as they aren't going to hurt themselves physically or harm somebody else physically, let them go through the experience. Even if they get frustrated, let them figure it out. And affirm them for figuring it out, affirm them for their resourcefulness, their ingenuity, their patience, their tolerance, recognizing the greater value of what they just did and how it creates more freedom for them. So they aren't dependent on me or somebody else the next time they want to take their stuff off and put it back on. So, I mean, it's huge. I just think we can do a lot to help others transition from a place of, excuse-making to a place of taking personal responsibility. Yeah. There's four ways that I did. This is what I did. And I'm just throwing it out there as a suggestion. Each of you can consider it. I started to recognize that every time I said the word, but in my conversations, he said, you know, I was going to do this, but and then this came up and I had to do that. So whenever I started using the word, but in the middle of my sentences, I recognized that what was following the word but was an excuse. So I talked about my intention before the but. I intended to do this, but then this came up and I had to do that. So now the explaining, defending, and justifying after the but was an excuse. So I started to recognize that every time I say the word but, I thought, hmm, I got to think about that. Am I making an excuse right now? Am I not taking personal responsibility? And nine times out of 10, when I've used the word but, I was not taking personal responsibility. And it was huge. Wake up call for me. So this is a prescription for self. But started to fall off my lips. I immediately started to think about that. No, I didn't go to other people and say, use the word but. And after you said the word but, you gave an excuse. then I didn't do that. That's a prescription for somebody else. This other people to make that decision. But for me, I started to catch myself using the word but and recognizing that I was making an excuse. And it made me look weak and incapable and less confident. So I started to stop myself and ask myself the question, what am I doing here? How do I say the word but? And just having that awareness, I was able to readdress what I wanted to say in a way that took more personal responsibility and was not an excuse making. So that's one thing I did. The second thing I recognized, and I started to see this really in other people too, and I saw it myself. So I said, Why? you know, when they say the word sorry, sorry, and I started thinking that sorry, you know, that what does that mean? That means I'm sorry I did something that bothered you. Get over it, you know, kind of like what is it, my bad? You hear that today. But sorry and my bad is a way of basically saying, hey, I made a mistake, get over it, no big deal. If it bothers you, sorry, let's move on. And, of course, when you hear the apologies of some of the athletes today, they do something that's socially inappropriate or make a mistake and because they're in a public eye, they're ridiculed for it. And they find themselves where coaches and players and owners of companies and owners of sports teams are finding themselves having to apologize the next day in a public way because they did what they did. And oftentimes their sorry is really, well, I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry you took it that way. Well, when you say to somebody you're sorry you took it that way, that's putting the responsibility on them because they took it that way. Instead of truly saying... I am sorry for what I did. And I think the standalone word sorry versus the word I am sorry is big. Now, I could cheat on that and say, I am sorry you took it that way. Well, that's not being honest either. So when I truly say, I am sorry for what I did, how can I make it up to you? I regret doing it. I wish I didn't do it. I will do better next time. I'm taking personal responsibility for my folly. I'm taking personal responsibility for my mistake. I'm apologizing for it and indicating that I'm going to do better next time. And I think that's a genuine use of the word, sorry, and an effective apology. But I found that if I just said, sorry, just off the cuff, kind of a standalone word, sorry. I was really not taking personal responsibility. I was just asking someone to just accept it. So that's a second thing I started to catch myself doing was using the word but, caught myself using the word sorry. And I just, as a prescription for self, I started to say, is that who I want to be identified as? The third one I is, is kind of an interesting one, and I call it if You know, I was always one to use the word if. You know, if this would have occurred, I could have done that. This is my favorite one. If only... I had another chance. If only I wouldn't have done this, I could have done that. So I think one of the things we do when we use the word if at the beginning of the sentence, it's kind of like the but in the middle of the sentence, but it's at the beginning. Ifing is really setting our preamble for an excuse and explaining, defending, and justifying. So I would ask myself when I threw out the word if, okay, where am I going with this? Am I going in the direction of an excuse or not? So again, those are the three words I kind of would catch myself using. And really, it's kind of gamey in a way. However, I was committed to stop making excuses. And I was committed to show my staff I could stop doing it. And I was committed to teaching them how we wanted to have a culture that didn't have iffing, sorry, and buts constantly flying around in the interactions in the office. And when I was able to do that for myself, it really started to change in the culture. So, fuel for thought, it worked for me. In the fourth one that I started to catch on was the prefaces that we use, which are the two or three or four words that we start a sentence with that oftentimes sets up an excuse. And those are I would like to, I hope to, I'll try. Who is was the Star Wars figure that said there's no tribe? Brian, you know that one. You're kind of a movie buff. Who is that? That's Yoda. Yoda. What do Yoda say?
0: In The Empire Strikes Back, when Luke is training with Yoda on Dagobah, he's kind of making an excuse for why he can't lift his X-Wing out of the swamp. And he sits down next to Yoda, exasperated. as says, I can't do it. It's too big. And Yoda's like, well, I'll do it again. And he says, I'll try. And Yet it says, do or do not, there is no try.
1: Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And that is a great example of that. And maybe that's when I first started to do that, the I'll try thing, when I heard that on that movie. But it's a great example of that. Another preface that I found was, I should. I I should, if only, I don't know if, I suck at, I had to, it would be nice to, I might, I can't, I won't. And all these prefaces, I think, connote a excuse in the making. And I just found myself catching myself in saying those words and recognizing what I was really projecting about myself was an excuse mindset. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So those are the four guidelines that I use. Brian, when I found myself saying the word but, sorry, and I started ifing or using some of these prefaces, I just said, you know, that's not who I want to be. I want to be somebody different. So that was big. Any thoughts about those four words, Brian, as four ways of mitigating our excuse nature? Well, what would be an alternative as a replacement? for those? A replacement of those words yeah. instead of saying but? Oh, I see what you yeah. mean. Well, I think one of the things that I would say, you know, when I started to say the word but, and that's a little gamey, but I recognize that it worked. I would say something and I'd throw the word in. I was gonna to go to the store and pick up dinner, but I went to the gym instead. So what I would say is, you know, I was gonna pick up dinner and I decided to go to the gym instead. I hope it isn't too much of an inconvenience for you for me not bringing dinner home. So I fully took responsibility for not doing what I said and I said, I made a new decision mid-course, and I made a decision to go to the gym. So at least I'm retaining my personal responsibility for that decision. And if it affected the person in a negative way, I would offer to make it up to them. So that's what I would do. When I started to use the word but, I would kind of change it to and I regret. Instead of using the word but, I would say I regret. Or I would say that conjunction and, and that allowed me to take personal responsibility for both sides of the sentence. I know it's a little logistical. However, it works. The other thing that I would do is instead of saying sorry, I just don't use a single word sorry. I say I am sorry, and I genuinely mean it. So I put the I am two words in front of the word sorry, and it mitigates the fact that I'm just blowing it off. Because sorry, just a single word sorry, is really a blow off. To me i see it as a blow off so i avoid that i say i'm truly sorry and i just stop biffing if only if this or that if i catch myself in doing that i redirect it so i want to say it in the way of personal responsibility so those are the things that i do and i just don't say i'll try and i don't say i would like to or i should I, you know i don't shoot on myself and i don't shoot on others when i find myself shooting on other people i Realize it stinks, and I don't like it. So I really have trained myself to stop doing that. That doesn't mean I never do. I mean, I still do. But this is always a work in progress and always something that I'm transitioning from where I am now to where I want to be. And I would say if you put it on a continuum, when I was probably two or three at taking personal responsibility and nine and ten at making excuses, I've been really able to flip that where I find myself more taking personal responsibility and not using excuses. And, and that's changed over time. And I'm talking about 10 years, 20 years of time. I'm not talking about something that all of a sudden changes overnight. I think it just is a new decision, a new intention to redirect my thinking on that and take personal responsibility instead. So those are some of the things that I do to make it happen. I think the other thing I do, Brian is I recognize the benefit. You know, I think of the consequences of being an excuse maker and the benefits of taking personal responsibility. And I really weigh those two. Yeah, there are benefits to making excuses, but the benefits to excuses is to get off the hook, and out of consequences, to get out of trouble, and all those other things. You could see those as benefits. However, I have another set of benefits. Because when I take personal responsibility and not make an excuse, I earn trust and respect. I'm seen by others as being truthful. It elevates my own confidence in myself. When I'm truthful and I take personal responsibility, now I'm confident and I don't have to feel like I have to apologize to somebody else for a mistake or make an excuse, which is almost like an apology. I don't have to do that because I'm confident in what I really think and what I really feel. So I can take responsibility. I can take that. And sometimes when I take personal responsibility, I still have a consequence. And that's okay. I'm willing to take it. But people respect that. I'm seen as more trustworthy. I think I'm seen as a person who has courage and faith. And I feel that I have more courage and faith. And that hope converts to a different set of actions than I had when I was an excuse maker. And I've come to realize that the benefit of this for me is that it gives me another opportunity to see failure and see my mischief and the mistakes I make as opportunities. Opportunities to learn, opportunities to grow, opportunities to correct, opportunities to do better. So I see the benefit of taking personal responsibility as an opportunity because when I make an excuse, I am not advancing myself in any way. I'm holding myself back. I'm staying in a very immature state. And if I'm going to maturate, we all maturate in our life. We just don't go from immaturity to maturity overnight. We don't go from being immature at 17 and mature at 18. It just does not happen. We still have immature behavior at 25, 45. I still have immature behavior. I had some immature behavior this weekend. So it's not that you're always mature But there's a process of maturation as you get older and as you put intentions on being less of an excuse maker, you come across as more mature, more responsible, more trustworthy, be counted on by other people. And I think that's important. I want to be counted on by other people. And I need to be able to not make excuses in order to do that. So it's important to me. It's a decision I make, and it's a decision that we all make to decide if we want to be more of an excuse maker or more of a person of personal responsibility. Any final thoughts on this, Brian?
0: Thanks for having me. I definitely hope that the listeners will recognize that as a leader, it's on you. And anybody who hasn't had the opportunity to lead needs to seek out that opportunity because it'll really change your perspective on how important it is to take personal responsibility, how damaging excuses can be to an organization. And as a leader, you get a new appreciation for personal responsibility.
1: So that would be my final thought. Thanks again for having me. You're welcome, Brian. Thanks for joining me. So I want to thank you all for joining us for this great conversation on excuse making versus taking personal responsibility and recognizing that we all have a choice in that matter. It's a prescription for self. It's something you can choose to be a part of your life and recognize and be patient with yourself that it takes time for these transitions to occur. So be patient and it will change over time if you just put a personal intention on it. So thanks for joining us for Ride the Elephant today and hopefully you'll join us for the next podcast in a week. Have a great day.
0: Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.